Sound of Truth starts now. Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, as we seek to inform, inspire, and encourage you in your walk with Christ through engaging interviews of ordinary people in whom God is doing an extraordinary work. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited that you've chosen to join us. For the second week, we have the privilege of talking with David Rice, my longtime friend. We met in college. Uh, you met him last week on Sound of Truth. Mm-hmm. You heard David's testimony and uh, how God made clear to him that he was to be a missionary. Um, I don't know if we got in the details of that, David, of how you knew that, but you said as early as the third grade, you sensed God calling you to be a missionary, and you know that's your calling in life, which is great to know that at an early age. But hey, why don't you share with us a little bit? You've you've been an ambassador for Christ overseas at least a couple decades now, and you have been able to serve in countries, go into countries and share the gospel where, let's just say, you weren't welcomed by the regime or the uh, government, but you were able to penetrate with the gospel, and I know it's a sensitive area for you to maybe talk about in terms of details, but as, as much as you feel comfortable doing that, would you share with us a little bit about your you know, background and in that realm of serving as a missionary? Well, actually, I'll, let's go back to the third grade thing. I would have told you when I was two years old I was going to be a missionary. I had an uncle who was a missionary. I looked up to him, and so, I mean, really, honestly, my whole life, that's all that I know that I wanted to do, except for briefly a rock star like we uh, right. discussed last week. But you know, I was in seminary uh, preparing to be a missionary, and I thought, you know, I wanted to go to South Korea where my uncle had served, and I'd been to Korea, and I loved Korean people, and I married a Korean lady. I hadn't married one yet when I was in seminary, but, you know, Korea was reached. And uh, I started learning about closed countries, the 1040 window, World Aid, whatever you, you want Let me interrupt it. just for, again, for our audience's sake. When you say Korea was reached, you mean K- Koreans— have access to the gospel, and actually Korea is probably more influenced by a Christian worldview right now in terms of population percentage of people following Jesus, maybe than the United States. Is that an accurate statement? Actually, in Korea, the young people are turning away. Ah. So, but, but we're talking 25 years ago when you were going into this. Yes. Korea was very... Yeah, 25 years ago, that hurts, Brett, that I'm that old. But this, <laughs> yeah, we're talking 25 years ago. Yeah, Korea was solid man and they you know and other than the united states they were producing more christians only the united states not christians more missionaries only the united states are producing more missionaries than korea was mm-hmm. and uh, they had 40 million people population and we had 300 and something million population and they were right on our tails on producing wow. missionaries so uh you know, I was learning about these things and the door was closed i thought i was going to go to indonesia and think didn't work out there. And I ended up in this country that's uh, really close. There's a country that I said I'd never go to before. I said, I definitely, I'm never going to go there. One, the language is hard. Uh, uh, they're communists. I don't like communists. You know, I grew up, growing up in the Cold War, we just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, right. you know, we had um, all these movies about fighting communists and all of this. And uh, it just wasn't something that really attracted me. And I was really sort of had no options when I went to our missions agency and was looking at options to go serve. I had no options uh, other than really there. One was in Mexico, and that would have been okay, but I knew the guy that would have been my supervisor, and I'd never seen him laugh. I would, I would tell a joke, and I might get a 
smile. That's <laughs> it. And it's not that, you know, I'm not funny. It's just, he just doesn't understand humor. It just and wasn't was his like, gifting. I, it was not, laughter, you know, uh, joyful, joyfulness was not his gifting. He's a great guy. Um, <laughs> right. uh, but I just, yeah, I can't serve with him, you know. And I ended up in this country uh, that was closed. Uh, went in as a language student. And okay, I go in as a language student. And I'm living in a dorm. Anybody that came to see me had to sign in to go see me. And I could only live in a dorm. If I didn't live in a dorm, I had to live in a hotel because foreigners couldn't live in regular housing, you know. Oh. So I remember one time I had... Uh, I picked up some sort of bug. I was eating this minority food and it tasted bad when I ate it. And the guy goes, no, this is my favorite, man. My mother's from this minority group and, and it's just wonderful, man. So eat it. So I ate it and I picked up this bug, man. And I was just sick as a dog and mm-hmm. I've been sick for over a month. We won't go into de- details because this is a, uh, if it were all male podcast, you go, go into details on it. But let's just say that I was getting dehydrated. <laughs> and it's been going on for months, and I just really couldn't move. And I had a friend travel from all across the town to come visit me, and he forgot his ID at home. And I lived on the sixth floor of this building without an elevator, and I had to walk downstairs in my condition to sit in the lobby with him, who came to see me when I was sick because he didn't have his ID. And they didn't give us the keys to our rooms. They had a, a lady that on each floor that would unlock our doors for us when we came. They said it was for my protection. So, yeah, that's what I was living in. And, uh, you know, for some reason, God gave me a love for those people. I met my wife during that time, and we got married, and we got her a green card in the U.S. And then when we got the green card, we went back, and we spent 18 years ministering in, in that country. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing experience. Mm. Our uh, Our first term back as a couple, uh, we moved to this uh, city that had not been, had not had any outside mission work since uh, communism took over the country. You know, we we were seeing uh, some fruit. That's where I met Kevin that I talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have heat. And it snowed five months out of the year. So, man, we froze to death there. Wow. So we had, but to wake up every morning and say, man, this is why I was created. You know, it, it helps you endure the cold, the cold snap, uh, everything that go well. Because being the first to engagement, we had some serious spiritual warfare going on. Mm-hmm. My wife, uh, we moved there with a nine-month-old. Wow. And my wife had to go back to breastfeeding because we couldn't find any food for him other than the, like this ground-up bone stuff, you know? Right. And, and he wouldn't eat that. We didn't feel good about giving him that. So we had, she had to go back to breastfeeding him. And then she was um, went to this lady's house one day to uh, share the gospel with her. And my son is one year old. And halfway through sharing the gospel, she goes, where's my son? And they go looking for him. And this is the fifth floor apartment, okay? Mm-hmm. They go looking for him. And he is standing on the outside of the window ledge, holding onto the window, looking back inside. Oh, no. Whoa. Uh, there's, there's no cage around the window on right. the outside to keep him from falling. And uh, my wife goes over and grabs him, pulls him back inside and continues to share. And the lady comes to Christ. Mm. But when I went and looked, there was no way that I could understand how a one-year-old could climb up there and get situated in the window the way he was. Mm. Um, I was telling the, some local uh, pastors there and they're like, man, it says demons put him there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, 
you know, I can't say that for sure, but there's no way that I can understand how he could get that level right. of bounce to be able to do that, you know? Well, David, you're you're talking about here. So, I mean, just in in these few stories, you're going to a place that you've never wanted to go. You get there Mm -hmm. and you experience, you know, some might say, you know, you experience some suffering. You're sick for a month, dehydrated. We all know what that means. And now you bring your wife and your your one-year-old baby and now they're in this, you know, danger, right? And... This is something that you, I think you brought up either this time or, or last week. This life that you're living for the Lord is not easy. And yet, you still live it. I can hear the joy in your, in your voice. I can hear, you know, that it sounds like, you know, you wouldn't go back and change anything. You were doing this because you, the Lord had placed this love for this people in your heart and knew this was your purpose. And you'd mentioned in South Korea, you know, now there's a generation that's turning away. But you didn't, and you're experiencing all this suffering. So how do we connect those dots? How do we explain, or how would you explain, you know, a generation that might be getting lost in South Korea? And I think, you know, the same can be said in America. Um, you know, a generation is, is walking away or has been um, for some time now. What, as I kind of pose that and kind of set you up for that, what, you know, what would you say to that? You know, this generation of, of people walking away or... Um, even well-known names kind of walking away from the faith. What would you say? You know, when it becomes about us, uh, that's when we fail. You know, all of these things happened in a city where nobody knew me. Uh, it was not a, um, not a huge priority, even with inside our organization. Uh, in fact, when we chose the city, a person called me from the organization. Why on earth did you choose that city? And I said, I don't know the name just kept coming up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we go there. The thing is, is going through all of that, man, it was hard at the time, but you're not alone because God is, God is with you and he gives you joy in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we didn't sit down that night and cry. We almost lost our son. We, mm-hmm. we rejoiced that we had a new sister in Christ. Right. And that God was faithful. Yeah. That mm-hmm. God had protected you, right? God protected us. Uh, and. And the thing we when we went to this country, we knew things that we knew things could possibly not go our way. We we knew that prison was an option, getting kicked mm-hmm. out was an option, uh, death was an option. We knew that was you know that was all an option. But when you step out and you put God to the test, not in testing His existence, but saying, "God, you promised this. I'm going to trust you to to deliver on it," and He does. You know, and it wasn't for anything for our glory. It was it was solely for him. Now, granted, I've got some good stories out of it. <laughs> yeah. When you're a redneck, stories stories are gold. You that's know, when you're a redneck, that's so, <laughs> they're your but, currency. Uh, yeah, they're your currency. So, uh, but at at the time, you're just looking at it. It's like, man, God, you have chosen me to walk in this city and be the first guy in generations to engage this. Yeah, no kidding. I mean. For most of us American Christians, the thought that we're the, I mean, that that's really cool to think about taking the gospel someplace and sharing the gospel where, where right. they have not heard this. Yeah, there's n- yeah, no one here could have heard it or, you know, so few. And yeah, yet the reality people. is increasingly in these United States, people know the name of Jesus. They know of churches. They know of Christianity, but they do not know the true gospel, that it's of grace. Mm-hmm. 
when you interview people or talk to people on the streets or start engaging people with conversation about what they think Christianity is, it's amazing how far off base they are mm-hmm. as to understanding that this is really a message of grace um, through faith, that it's not a works Well, they based. see what we've made it. We, we love the rules. Right. Because it's a checklist that we can check off. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and we feel like we've accomplished something because we dr- don't drink and smoke and dance and play cards and shoot pool, you know. Mm-hmm. And, we don't. Oh. <laughs> and uh, well, I, we played a lot of pool in college and probably played a lot of cards, but uh, the dancing, no, we weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's showing our age that we're making those things the reference. And even when we were growing up, a couple of those things were no longer taboo. But you go back another generation or two and. You know, they were Christians didn't play cards. Christians didn't dance. Right. Yeah, you know, we so. didn't have playing cards in my house when I was growing up. Really? Yeah, we were good Christians, man. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't grow up with with that one on the list. Uh, so, um, so back on we, you know, we were talking about right now. It seems like we're seeing a lot of people walk away from the faith. You just made reference to in South Korea. Now there seems to be a generation mm-hmm. that's walking away from the faith right. after the previous couple generations had embraced the faith in a major way. Yeah. This is a cycle though. We see through the scriptures, God's Holy spirit works. Revival comes. This generation's on fire for the Lord. They try to transfer it to the next generation. Some, sometimes it takes, but within just a generation or two, it's amazing how it, there, there, there comes young people along that's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. No, we reject this. Yeah, and I th- I think it goes to a little bit of what David had mentioned, and he, although he may not have meant to bring it up. He's, when, when, we, when I asked him about it, he said, it's, it's your focus. You know, it, mm-hmm. If you're focusing on the Lord versus focusing on yourself, almost yeah. even, even what you're talking about with the card game, which might be a stretch, but Uno, you know, who, who are you talking about? Are, are, are you number one or is God number one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And when you place yourself as number one, well, maybe it's a lot easier to walk away from, you know, the God of heaven when you yourself can take his place. I can be the God of my own life. Yeah. Well, you know, we sanitize everything. And, I mean, you, you look at Scripture, uh, and we've lifted up the wrong people, too. You look in Scripture. Mm. Look at Saul, King Saul. By our standards, he was blameless. I mean, if David submitted a, church, submitted a resume to your church to be pastor, and Saul submitted a resume to your church to be pastor— you would have picked Saul any day of the week, you know, and it, it was not about the sins of the person is about the position of their heart. And yeah. we have created a atmosphere where we just try to make good people. Mm-hmm. And by good, you're, uh, I forgot who it was. Somebody said that, you know, we don't even sin with gusto. We're not doing anything with gusto. We don't even sin with gusto. Mm-hmm. If you look at David, David was a man of passion. Indeed, he was. Now, that passion was often misplaced. But at the end of the day, the ultimate passion was a passion for God mm-hmm. and, and his righteousness. So, you know, I think with portraying that you can't have flaws and follow God, we have right. really uh, done a disservice because some people are very well able to mask their flaws much more than other people. That's right. A, that's and, a great point. And, uh, you know, even. It, would Rich Mullins have been a uh, popular Christian artist if he had had social media in his day with the struggles that he had, but those struggles produced some of the greatest songs we have had in generations. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so we're not allowing people to struggle. That's and, true. And walk, walk by them. 
Yeah, you know, because one, right now, oh, sorry, David. I was just going to say, I mean, I'm com- completely in agreement with you. Right now, it seems like in our in our current culture, we are going to exponentially explode any mistake that that you see. You know, it's it's going and to then get you get canceled. Yeah, you will get canceled. You will get blown up by. So it's exactly what you're saying. We will not allow you to have faults because we are going to make those faults any moles or, or uh, at mountains. You know, out of little molehills. You know. And the church cancels too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that mm-hmm. that is that is the thing. So, uh, you know, when you're looking at when you're looking back and you look at great people in Christian history, William Carey, father of the modern missions movement, probably the most abysmal husband the the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, his wife goes insane mm. and dies on the field. Because he took the boat being delayed as a sign she needed to go with him. There are character flaws there, but he's the father of the modern missions movement. The, the gospel is not about, it's about perfecting people, but it's about perfecting them over time and when in, toward heaven, you know, and walking with them through their flaws. Okay, so that is one thing. So I really think that because we often ostracize people that are struggling, that we are preventing some of the potentially greatest Christians right. from maturing. And and we elevate people that tend to not struggle. Or at least we don't at see least, it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't or see we the don't struggle. See yeah, it. exactly. Uh, we don't see it. They mask it really well. Mm-hmm. And but if you if you look at real Christian leadership, most of the people that have been really, really effective have had some serious, serious trouble in their life. Yeah, they've gone through I mean, here's a brokenness. Yeah, yeah, my first thought, I'm thinking of, I've heard C.H. Spurgeon struggled with depression. Martin Luther struggled with depression. Um, and these are people who are like, you know, giants of the faith. Uh, exactly. You know, and, and that's where God grows us. God grows us in our struggles. Well, and uh, to circle back around to what you said earlier with bringing up, I think Saul is a great example, is that, uh, you know, Saul was elevated because of his giftedness and talent, but he had not been through brokenness. He had not been refined through the refiner's fire. David was anointed to be king, like, what, 18 years before he actually became king? Um, and he's out there alone with the, with the sheep, being developed by the Lord over a long period of time uh, to where it was an issue of character, but we elevate people to leadership and prominence in the Christian world based upon their gifting far too quickly mm-hmm. rather than giving them time to mature. And that plays into all this as well uh, for producing a culture of leadership that then doesn't give patience with people and, and time with people, et cetera. So, um, yeah. They're, they're, well, God also put David in uh, Saul's court playing harp yeah. uh, with Saul trying to pin him to the wall, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so. David learned how to lead a kingdom by watching the guy that's trying to kill him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I mean, I would love to give, and maybe sometime we can circle back to this conversation in the future. I know we're running out of time here, but um, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on Christianity, the expression of Christianity in other cultures uh, in comparison to the, the uh yeah. The expression of Christianity in the United States. Yeah, you're um, getting front row seat of what Christianity looks like in a place where it's never been planted, and then of 
of course you get to, you know, see what it looks like in, in America where, you know, um, you know, many would say it's a Christian nation right. or perhaps a well, post-Christian when was, nation. When I was 25, I met a guy that had spent 21 years in prison for his faith. Not just met him. I, I could go to his house anytime I wanted to and, uh, and chat with him. And God had given me the uh, opportunity to be able to uh, walk next to people like that. You know, that, that was a life changer. And when you meet somebody like that and they're not a bit bitter at the government that uh, put them in prison, and when you see his wife say, oh, I thank God that he was in prison. If he'd been out, they would have killed him. And to just see the joy of the Holy Spirit, and you realize that we are formed by our trials. And when we are in our trials, we have two options. One is to learn the lesson God is teaching. The other is to get bitter and say, I don't deserve this. And uh, I think it's Hebrews 5, 8 says, even though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or through what he suffered. And, uh, you know, and if you look at it, if Jesus had to learn obedience mm-hmm. through suffering, why don't we? Exactly. Yeah, and here's a man who did no disobedience. It, it wasn't learning out of disobedience into obedience. It was, but it was in God the man. Mm-hmm. You got God. Jesus was God. Jesus was man, but to, for him to be man, that means he had to grow in experiencing and learning these things. As we, yeah. Luke, Luke chapter two verse fifty-two uh, tells us that he was growing in his knowledge and his mm-hmm. wisdom and all that stuff. So, perfect, sinless Son of God had to grow in learning obedience, not because he was disobedient, not from mm-hmm. a place of sin, but a, but he had to learn it through suffering as well. How much more should we who are sinful have to walk through suffering in order to learn obedience, right? Right. I mean, and why should we question it when we do? Why should we you what? Know, you, I, I didn't catch that. Why should we question why we have to go right. through it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do, don't we? Uh, we usually do. Yep. Yeah, and, and I'm guilty of that as well. When my, my son at two and a half years of age couldn't talk, and I had a psychologist saying, well, he may never talk. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, well, here's so-and-so that I know that's living a uh, horrible life, and their kids are normal. Why right. is this happening to me? Right. You know, so there is a growing in that, – that's a, that's a normal part of growth, but you latch on to God, and he brings you through it. So that that is the biggest thing that I see is that we have been taught that – you know, well, if you're in the center of God's will, nothing bad is going to happen to you. Well, that's the biggest lie we have in Christianity. If you're in the center of God's will, he may choose that you die tomorrow so that other people may hear, you know, and that is something that we have to be willing to accept. Well, a God that loves you wouldn't do that. Yes, he would, because he loved other people. And as Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So he's gaining for you. And, and to live your life in a manner that you know that God's hands upon you and he's using you and your life makes an eternal of significance uh, for people, man, that's priceless. David, that right there, to live mm-hmm. your life in such a way that you know God's hand is on you, that's, that's the way. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share with your friends. Thanks. The music is by Canon and is used with permission. This podcast is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2021.